You are listening to Scale Your Joy with Kanisha Grayson, Episode 8. Get ready for a great one. Welcome to Scale Your Joy, the only podcast that teaches high achievers with heart how to craft a life and build a business focused on freedom, joy, self-expression, and social impact. I'm your host, Kanisha Grayson, a Harvard Business School and Harvard Kennedy School grad, author, essayist, and self-made entrepreneur. I did it and you can do it too. Let's get started. Hello, hello. It's a warm and overcast day here in Austin. It's the perfect day for lounging around at home, watching Netflix, and then taking Zadie out to the dog park a few times. I love when it's overcast and warm because the overcast part gives me permission to do nothing. But the warm part makes it bearable to take Zadie out to the dog park the four times a day that I do. I hate being cold at the dog park. I'm always bundled up and my neighbors laugh at me at how bundled up I am at the dog park, but I don't like to be cold. I've been watching the documentary Made You Look, a true story about fake art on Netflix and I'm really enjoying it. I'm about halfway through. If you like art or you like documentaries about cons, then this is a good one. This really makes me miss painting. I love to paint. My favorite medium is acrylic and I like to use a lot of mediums to provide texture. So if you like to paint or you like art or you like documentaries, check it out. Today I'm interviewing my soulmate, Jonathan Jimenez, who less extravagant people might refer to as my childhood best friend. Jonathan and I will be talking about all kinds of things in this episode, just like we do when we hang out. We will discuss how we grew up, our 26-year-old friendship, the grief of losing our shared best friend, Leah, sexuality, social class, and more. You definitely want to tune into this episode and make sure you can listen somewhere where you can laugh because JJ is a ham and I think we'll have you cracking up at various points throughout this episode. Today's listener spotlight is a voice memo from my first friend I made at Harvard Business School and the closest friend I had while there. Her name is Tiara and she is such a generous kind, fun, and wonderful person. Tierra and I have shared a lot of great memories over the last woof, 13 years, Tierra, and we keep it very real with each other when it comes to the ups and downs in our lives. I appreciate her so much, and I'm glad that you all will get to hear a tiny snippet of our friendship in this voice memo that she sent me yesterday and gave me permission to share with all of you. Hey, Kanisha. I hope you're doing well this morning. I just wanted to say that I was thinking about your podcast this morning and I really resonated with your feelings on like, I went to Harvard Business School. How come I don't know how to do all of these things that I want to do as regard, in regards to starting a business and launching a business? And I definitely have plenty of moments where I feel that way. It's like I have pieces of the puzzle, but I am missing some key knowledge on implementation. But anyway, I was just thinking about you and I just wanted to share. (laughs) I hope you're having a great day. Okay, it's time to jump into my conversation 
with my childhood best friend, my soulmate, Jonathan Jimenez, who I call JJ. Enjoy. Let's see. Say say or can something. You, can you hear me clearly, I guess, is the question. I can hear you qu- uh, queerly. <laughs> Freudian I, slip. Yeah, Freudian slip. I can hear you queerly. I... I think it's good. And the producers, they will, they'll make it sound better. They might be a little upset by the quality because they're audio snobs and they've turned me into an audio snob. That's fine. I mean, I'm okay with that too. JJ. Kanisha. Jonathan Jimenez. Welcome to the Scale Your Joy podcast. And thank you for your time this Saturday afternoon. Of course. Anything for Kanisha. (laughs) okay so jj who would you say you are to me and who am i to you oof this is a hard question but easy to answer i suppose so we are obviously soulmates traveling the universe together for many millennia and in this most recent reincarnation we are akila and the bee jj and kanisha (laughs) what is akila and the bee (laughs) it's a movie about a really smart black girl and a chubby latino best friend and i'm like that is us oh I don't remember. Okay, I I do. I think we saw that movie together mm-hmm. when it came out. I just don't remember the chubby Latino best friend. So that's see, mm-hmm. that's why we're Aquila and the Bee. Okay, Absolutely. I'm like, are you the Bee? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm full of honey, but <laughs> okay, okay. No, but really, yeah. So JJ summarized it really lovely. But we are soulmates, which is my highest label I can think to give someone. I adore JJ and he is a dear friend, a brother, sister, I don't mm-hmm. know, all the <laughs> just <laughs> everything, everything to me. I prefer gender neutral caregiver, but that'll work too. Okay, yeah, he is Amigix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before we dive into a bunch of personal details, because there is a lot to talk about today about life and loss and our friendship. Let's talk about your educational and professional background. So tell us where you went to college, what you studied in college, what you're studying in grad school, and a little bit about your career. Oh, absolutely. So I got a BA from Earlham College in 2006 in comparative languages and linguistics. And then I dabbled in teaching for like a hot minute and was like, not for me. And then I went back to school at the University of Washington in Seattle for a nursing degree in 2011. And I've been a nurse since then. And recently, I am now in grad school for two degrees, an MBA in organizational leadership and a master's in nursing from St. Joseph's College of Maine in Maine, obviously. And yeah, and so my career has been a bedside nurse for the past 10 years. And in the last two years, I've transitioned to a managerial role. So currently I'm an assistant nurse manager in a clinic. And I very much enjoy this transition from bedside nursing to administrative nursing. Yes, I'm so proud of you. And actually not familiar with that phrase, bedside nursing versus administrative nursing. That's really an interesting split of the team or the profession and the phrase for me. So I'm glad to learn that. And I always like to refer to JJ as my first unwilling admissions consulting client. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, please. Yes, you are probably the 75% of why I got into college. Go ahead. (laughs) Go ahead and tell that story. Yeah. So, you know, in high school, I was 
very intent on being successful in the college application process and making sure that my best friends were successful. So it was me, JJ, Leah, and Josh that I decided we're going to work together on our college <laughs> applications. And I made us all each an individual binder. Do you remember the binder, JJ? Oh, yeah, the accordion binder. It was plastic. I love it. <laughs> oh, so it was the yellow yeah, accordion file we each had. And we would every weekend, we would go to Leah's parents' house and we would study for the SAT and the ACT, both tests. We would research colleges and we would write our essays. And we even went to visit multiple schools without our family in, in other states. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> just got on planes like, hello. Yeah. Did you visit any colleges with your parents? None. I didn't visit any colleges with my parents. I either visited them alone mm-hmm. on like a diversity fly-in weekend or, you know, we would go together like out of state to go look at colleges, which now I think about is so different than the way people a lot of people visit colleges now yeah did we go to hendrix college together we did we went to hendrix college in arkansas together and we all stayed like we like slept on the floor in different people's dorm rooms yeah that's so crazy Um, yeah yeah we (laughs) we totally did did you visit earlham before you decided to go there did you apply get in and just go without having visited no i did fly in similar for they had like a diversity weekend but i do remember them being like you're not the right shade to be on the cover, but we'll include you in the weekend. And so I flew out there and got to meet everyone. So yeah, no. So you said something funny. One of the first of many, many funny things I'm sure you'll say during this interview, which is that you weren't the right shade to be on the catalog, the admissions catalog. So just to be clear, because people aren't seeing you, you look like a a white European white person. Absolutely. Right. But you are I am. I'm Latino, more specifically Mexican-American. And that side of my family looks, air quotes, traditionally Mexican. Everyone's like five, five, you know, brown skin, black hair. And I look like big forehead, high cheekbone, white person. (laughs) (laughs) You're very, very handsome, very handsome, JJ. But also, you know, not what people traditionally think of as Latino. So right, right. So there's this kind of coming out process that you mm-hmm. have to do sometimes of being mm-hmm. like, actually, I am a person of color. I'm a secret Latino. A secret, yeah, stealth Latino. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wonderful. And one thing I want to point out that I always think is so cool is that you weren't the most schoolish of us in high Applicants, school, no. but you have the most education out of all the friends. You have two bachelor's degrees and two master's degrees, and that's pretty awesome. And you did really well in your second bachelor's and then your two masters. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's the irony of, of seeing Facebook posts after I finished nursing school being like, I will never go to school again. Strap me to a bed if I ever go to school again, as I'm like, you know, neck deep in a grad program. So yeah, it's, it's two interesting grad programs. Yeah, awesome. So we just talked about some of your great accomplishments. And I also mm-hmm. just want to bring up that you are friends with some very type A people and high achievers. I do count myself in that bucket. <laughs> do you identify as a high achiever? Why or why not? I do not necessarily identify as a high achiever. I identify myself as an emotional support human for high achievers. <laughs> and the reason I don't say, or the reason I don't associate with being a high achiever is because there is definitely a drive that high achievers have this personality of like constantly wanting to do bigger and better. And I do not identify with that at all. I love to say no. I love to set boundaries and limits, 
And so I think high achieving people have typically have trouble with that. And so I wouldn't say I'm high achieving or a high achieving person, but I do surround myself with them at all times. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell me about that. Why are you so drawn to driven people who are never satisfied and, you know, have that blessing and that curse of that high achieving type A plus personality? Well, I think the reason for me is twofold. One, it's a selfish reason. Like I'm a very good co-pilot. And so to always be surrounded by people who want to take charge, plan things and execute is like very freeing for me because I can just go along with whatever plan they have, which I think described us perfectly in high school. And I, I love so it. many plans. I, I love it. I love it. I love being good co-pilot. And then I think secondly, if that's a real word. Secondly is a real word. Oh, that's good to know. is I always have a desire, which I think is why I'm a nurse, is I have a desire to like air quotes, help people. And I feel like high achieving people send out this like, almost like this distress call of Mm. like frantic, nervous energy. And I'm like literally drawn to it like a moth to the flame, like a wise person in a robe with a cup of tea being like, let me soothe your soul. So I think it's, you know, part selfishly, because I don't like to plan things and high achieving people plan things for me. And the second is I do feel like I'm like spiritually called to these people. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's really lovely. Well, if you like frantic energy and a lot of drive, (laughs) you would love my clients at the art of applying because it's like me just cloned a hundred times. I would love it. Yeah. And so that's super interesting. The idea that high achievers actually have this energetic field around us that is, we may think maybe is like an aura of accomplishment or confidence, but it actually reads as stress and distress. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, It's like a beacon to me. Ah, interesting. And you're called to it because you're like, I can help this person and soothe their anxious soul and they'll plan the vacation. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's super interesting. Okay. So let's talk some more about our friendship. We have been friends since. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. All I can do is like the R noise. We've been friends since fall 1995. Wow. For 26 years. Our friendship is qualifies for better, you know, discount on the insurance because it's over 25. Literally. That's how old our friendship is. Our friendship could already have like an underwater mortgage like three yeah i I was gonna give us three kids oh okay well (laughs) our friendship has made choices i have not made so (laughs) Uh, same so it's very special to be like we have known each other for 26 of the 37 years we've Mm -hmm. been alive like that's amazing I only had to live 11 of my years without you. It's true. Although we did live only two streets apart from each other. We just never knew it. That's true. So maybe we even saw each other, which is super cool. And I, everybody listening, I, I literally remember the moment that I laid eyes on JJ and it was love at first sight. We were in our sixth grade English language class, Ms. Polikoff. Mm-hmm. and the honors class. It was my first Ooh. honors class ever. And the teacher had us introducing ourselves and you stood up 
And you said, my name is Jonathan Jimenez, but my friends call me JJ. And you were just so tan from the summer and a little (laughs) chubby and you were sparkling. You had like little twinkles in your eyes and you were just, (laughs) you were just sparkling. (laughs) And I was like, he is so cool. He has a nickname. And I don't know why I was so smitten with the idea that you had a nickname and you were just so charismatic and I don't know how I like introduced myself to you. I remember when we first exchanged numbers, it felt very exciting and transgressive. Like he's a boy and I'm a girl and we're exchanging numbers. This is the love of my life. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Disney show episode. It was a Disney show episode. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. So what would you say besides just the sheer amount of time that we've been friends, which is really special? What are some things that make our friendship special and how has our friendship impacted your life? Well, I would say, I think the first and foremost is I have never laughed so much with another person. And it's a very distinctive laugh. It's just a laugh of like full abandonment of like, this is the funniest thing that's ever happened. There's silliness. There's no holding back. And, you know, laughter, I think is my love language. And so I think it really tickles my soul that we laugh so much. And I think, I think what makes our relationship so special is that we have similar ish backgrounds and similar barriers, obviously different, but similar. And just, I don't know, we've just always been there for each other. And we've always been able to talk about problems and issues and celebrate each other, but in a way that has always felt permanent. Like I never felt like we would not be friends, even from Mm -hmm. the very beginning. So I was like, okay, you might go to a different school, you'll go to a different state, but we would always be friends. And so I think it's that, that anchor that I think really makes my friendship with you special because it just, it always feels like permanent, like Alpha and the Omega. Oh, yes. I don't I don't know what Alpha and the Omega is, but I'll take it. I know it's the beginning and I think the end of the it's some sort of It's some sort of biblical thing, but yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega. And so, you know. Yeah. Okay. I love it. So He's I quoting the Bible, but I love I it. JJ, did you listen to the Assumption of Permanence episode? Oh, of I the did. Podcast? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we totally have that in our friendship for sure. And I do think that that, means a lot that there's literally no fight that could ever happen or slight that could ever happen to where we wouldn't be Be friends friends. like I don't even know I could literally I don't know but I feel like I could borrow fifty thousand (laughs) dollars from Mm -hmm. you and not pay it back and you'd be like I mean I guess I was stupid for giving it to her (laughs) yes step one do not give out money (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know what Oprah said lending money is a quick way to end a friendship she said something like you basically purchase the end of a friendship when you lend large amounts of money if you if you're gonna have some money dealings just give it just give it away exactly yeah and so that was really beautiful and I love that that idea of permanence and I think that it's particularly impactful since both of us have been married or domestically partnered, mm-hmm. ba- basically married before. Yeah. And so we really know that sometimes things that we plan to be permanent don't end up being permanent. And to have something in our life, our friendship that is permanent is mm-hmm. really wonderful. And you also reference that we grew up similarly. So 
JJ and I grew up in Dove Springs mm-hmm. in Austin, Texas, a low income, high crime neighborhood. It's not a scary place. It's just poor. <laughs> and it's, it's, yeah. it's sleepy. The crimes that happen are, as far as I know, more like theft and property crime and vandalism and things like that. But it's it's not like people are getting murdered and shot in the streets very often. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does happen. So let's talk about how we grew up. What yeah. are some things you would share with the listeners? And just think about the people who will listen to this episode. There may be friends of yours in Seattle who will be listening to this episode who they only know rich white passing JJ, right? And not saying that you're hiding any other part of yourself or whatever, but there are people who only think of me as Kanisha who runs a 700K to million dollar business or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there'll be people who are listening to this episode who have known both of us for years. Yeah. Don't really know how we grew up. So yeah. for, for those people or for people who don't know us at all, what would you tell them about, you know, where we grew up and how we grew up? You know, similar to what you said, like low income where, you know, everyone I knew growing up always had money issues, you know, you know, rent might have been hard to make or, you know, a car broke down and you couldn't afford to fix it. Buying something expensive was like out of the question. Like, mm-hmm. I think one of the most how I know people didn't grow up like we did is when people always reference like entertainment systems they had as a kid like I had the Nintendo or I had an Xbox Um, and I was like my parents absolutely did not have money for that we never went without food or shelter obviously but we just never had extra money for things and that was the case with like everyone I knew including all my family so I guess you know growing up low income or poor felt fine because everyone else we knew was poor and low income I think yeah it it never felt it never felt frantic (laughs) or like it never felt it never felt like I was missing something because all of us were missing something, I guess. For sure. I I don't think I knew that we lived in a low-income neighborhood. I don't think I really understood that until we were in high school. And Yeah, because we never knew other parts of the town existed. Right. We were just <laughs> like, Austin is just this, this like ghetto. dilapidated... Yeah. <laughs> Wasteland. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and I I don't want to say that our neighborhood was not and is not a wasteland. I'm no. just being silly. And I also want to point out that we JJ and I grew up in a low income neighborhood that had the highest teen pregnancy rate in the nation when we were Hello, growing let's, up. Let's celebrate but, that. But but JJ, we did not grow up poor. You know, like we had yeah. two parents. We did. Your parents went to college and so did mine. Mine graduated. I know your mom did. Did your dad graduate college? No. Okay. He did he did go though, right? I don't think so, actually. Okay. I don't know why I have this vision that he went like for some college. He might have gone um, for like a semester or something and then was like, I'm out. And like you said, we never went without food. And actually in my house, we were big consumers. So I did Ooh, have those burritos. We did have great frozen burritos at JJ Love. <laughs> we always had our refrigerator. We had an an overabundance in my house of of stuff and food, which was challenging because there is the challenge of not enough. But then sometimes when people like my parents grow up in scarcity, they then 
overstock up and it gets mm-hmm. to the point of of near or actual hoarding. And so one challenge for me growing up was like there was too much stuff a lot of the time. So we did. I had a lot of toys, all the books I could want, every gaming console I wanted. I wasn't super into it, but I know I had the Atari. I had Nintendo. I don't know if I had anything. Every computer in the world. We had so many computers because my dad is like a big computer nerd. We had so many computers and we, my dad still does. (laughs) If you ever just need a TV, literally, you know, I'll come back from Spain and be like, I need a TV. And the next day my dad's like, here's two from the garage. Yeah. I don't, I have never known people to love Black Friday more than the Graysons. (laughs) It's up there with popcorn. Yeah. We Um, love popcorn and Black Friday. I would say uh, you're right. Like I had both my parents, they were married. They both always had jobs. We always owned a home. You know, we never had to move frequently. And so we were, I was very fortunate in that. But I think one of the things that I noticed moving on in life is that, you know, because my mother was the only one to have gone to college in my entire family. And I mean, entire family. I didn't know that. That's amazing. All extended family. And I remember your mom, my parents grew up as migrant farm workers picking fruit and your, Mm -hmm. your white mom grew up picking cotton. No, she didn't, but her parents did. Oh, her parents did. Yeah. Okay. I thought she did. Okay. Her parents. I mean, they took her to the farm to be like, look at what you could have done. And she was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Okay. Um, I thought she did. Okay. But my parents never, even though my mom was a teacher, my mom and dad never knew how to like, I guess, support us educationally. Like I distinctly remember going to middle school and the teacher being like, okay, everyone get on the internet. And I was like, what is the internet? (laughs) Like we didn't have a computer until I was like in a freshman year in high school. And mm. so, like, I asked to, my dad for one. <laughs> I should have been like, Mr. Crazy, can you build me a custom computer, please? No, but things like that, like, my parents were like, I don't know how to navigate the internet. I don't know how to help you, like, do research projects online. Same. Like, all of that stuff was. I mean, my dad definitely could help me navigate the internet, but research projects, no. Yeah. So, all of that, I think that's similar to what you said. Like, when I got to high school, actually, middle school, when all those, like, fancy kids at Keeling, it just was became abundantly clear that, like, while I wasn't, like, poor, poor necessarily material things, like how to navigate other parts of life. I was like, I don't know how to do any of this. Absolutely. So I think I talk about that with my clients is the social capital. We Mm -hmm. were poor in a certain type of social Mm -hmm. capital of the kind of the rich dad, poor dad type situation where our dads and moms gave us a lot of love and fed us and gave us shelter, mm-hmm. but they they kind of hit a limit of what they could give us when it came to navigating climbing social classes. Oh, yes. It sounds sure. pretty gross the way I'm saying it, but we really have come a really long way mm-hmm. socioeconomically. My parents grew up as migrant farm workers. Then they both got migrant farm worker scholarships to go to college, graduated from college, and then worked in government jobs, retired from government jobs. Both your parents are retired from Mm -hmm. their professional jobs. And now I think we're both in very similar income bracket households, Mm -hmm. dink, dink households, dual income, no kids. And We talked about it before the call. Both of our households make a combined each like about 350K to 500K a year. Mm -hmm. Right? 
That's yeah, a like, lot. That's a, I always go crazy. Like, that's a million dollars. I mean, every yeah. two to four years. It really is. I mean, and again, growing up, I remember when I became a nurse, I was like, I make more than my parents make, you Absolutely. know, after at the end of their careers, which is crazy. Yeah, I I make by myself. I make, I think, double what my parents made combined mm-hmm. when they retired. So, yeah, we we live in very abundant households. Mm-hmm. I don't I feel rich. I don't know if we count as rich. Like I don't is is a four. Let's just say 400K as a 400K household in the U.S. Is that does that count as rich? I know making 400K one person would put you in the one percent. But I, I just I think it counts. Right. Like when I put my income into the little Wall Street Journal, what percent are you calculator? Mm-hmm. I, mine is the top 2% of income or the 98th percentile. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's a good comparison, right? Like our friendship is an assumption of permanence. In my mind, my income is not an assumption of permanence. Oh, me neither. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is a good year, but the famine's coming. Or And I don't know if that's just because that's how we grew up. And I don't know anyone else person that personally, who's like money has always come. And so they just count on it. Like the sun mm-hmm. rises in the, in the, in the West. When does it the come? sun rises in the <laughs> East. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> but yeah, the sun the sets sun. in the West and they money make money upon money. Yeah. And their mm-hmm. wealth grows. JJ, I'm right there with you. I was actually just having a conversation with Tyler about this before our interview. And I'm like, I'm feeling a little down because it's we're having a low February and a low March in the business. Mm-hmm. But I just remember that's how I felt last year because the pandemic had just started. And I was like, well, I might go out of business and it's been a good run. And so I'm like, OK, every March, people aren't feeling a sense of urgency to sign up and work with us to get help, although they should be because this you should sign up as early as possible so we can help you get great results. But it's the same month when I'm hearing all the great news from my clients. And they're like, oh, my goodness, Kanisha, I just got into University of Virginia with a full scholarship. And I'm like, that's so exciting. Where's my money? Not from that person, but just in general. <laughs> and so I feel a real uh, real gap between the results I help people achieve and the money that's coming in mm-hmm. every March, every March. Yeah. And I just got to get used to it. But I, I do every March. I have to deal with, let's call it February, March, April. I, I start to be like, Ooh, am I going to be, be poor? Is everything okay? Do I have enough money? And and really have to very intentionally keep myself out of scarcity. I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't even know that I realized we had that in common. The fact that we live in such abundant households that we earn six figures, each mm-hmm. of us, and that we still kind of are looking over our shoulder, wondering when we're going to go have to work at for me and you, like we both worked our first two jobs together at the movie theater and at mm-hmm. the grocery store. Are we going to have to like go work at Starbucks or be like a janitor in the same hospital that you're a nurse, right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah. I, in my mind, I think if I had to decide, if I had to define what a rich person is versus not, my money is tied to my ability, my human physical hours, whereas yes. a rich person is not tied to what they can physically do. Absolutely. So, so to in me, my mind, that's why. Absolutely. So wealth, right? Mm-hmm. The wealthy people don't make money from showing up to a job. Wealthy people 
make money with the money they already have Mm -hmm. being invested and reinvested and growing and then being reinvested. They're not making money by clocking in, clocking out. Their ability to earn money is not tied to, like you said, their physical exertion of effort. Mm -hmm. And so that's something for both of us, I think, to not that the accumulation of wealth is the most important thing in life, but it is important. And it's important to us. I think we both really like the bougie lifestyles we have become accustomed to, which we'll I love talk about a bubble that water. Is... <laughs> <laughs> I love a bubble water, too. I didn't used to, but I'm totally on the bubble water train now. And that's something I think we'll both keep working on is just better understanding money management, mm-hmm. feeling confident with money management, investing our money and not being afraid of the stock market. Yeah, I'm talking about investing and I see a piece of art behind you. Isn't that like a legit piece of art? Like, isn't that one of y'all's investments? Yes, my husband does all the art investing. He picks all the art, hangs them up. I'm just like that. He always jokes that I'm going to be that rich widow where they come out and they're like, Madam, your investments. And I'm like, I know nothing of this vulgarity. Just give me my check. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yes, that's exactly my plan. Yeah. And actually, I have art behind me. Gigi, I don't know if you remember those two small pieces. Do you remember where those come from? I can't even see them, but no. Oh, you're involved in this story. So you took me, we were in Miami, we were in South Beach, and you took me to your friend's house. And it was like a young guy and a, a much older guy. And the older guy was a surgeon. And I was admiring all his art and just drooling over his art. And I was like, the the art in your house, to me, looks like you love Picasso. And he was like, oh, yes, I do. And then like while y'all were hanging out, he took me to his like private. Yeah, his private back room and showed me his Picassos, his real Picassos that he has. And then he asked for my address and sent me these two pieces. They are not Picassos, but they are a Cuban artist. And this is like legit, you know, high art, invest your money art type stuff with resale value framed in some Hobby Lobby frames. <laughs> so Bougie on a budget. So Bougie on a budget. But yeah, that's the story of the art that I you see behind this. me. And then one of my favorite JJ phrases ever. I don't remember how it came up or how it was born, but you referred to us one day as the way we grew up was free range ghetto. What oh, does yes. free range ghetto mean? Free range ghetto is okay. So if you're not from a warm climate in Texas, our schools aren't necessarily entirely enclosed. We'll have courtyards where you can sit and there's trees and it's free range ghetto in that like you can just like mill in between the buildings. And I don't know, there was also like not a perimeter of our school. Like there was a neighborhood across the street. And if I just was like, I'm done of second period, I could just get up and like walk away into the neighborhood so yeah free range ghetto is they trusted us enough to be like your cattle that knows you're either going to come or go as you please and we're not that concerned about your safety and I was like okay so I love (laughs) I love free range ghetto because there was no I don't know I felt like we weren't in prison like in some other poor places where you feel trapped absolutely yeah I think I think I love that your description of free range ghetto and I think one of the things that we were really fortunate to not experience is we went to low-income schools for elementary school, middle school, and high school, low-income public schools, but we were not treated as if we were being trained 
to tolerate imprisonment, which a lot of times public schools with a really high proportion of low income students, there's just this extreme disciplinarian authoritarian atmosphere Mm -hmm. whereas for us it was just like i mean thanks for being here for part of the day (laughs) you you showed up and you you don't have a baby with you kudos right yeah yeah. and 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 we had places for the babies even in middle school you know we had the little daycare they had a little daycare book for our children for mm -hmm, for the our students children was like yeah Hello. Yeah. It was a very relaxed ghetto, I must say. Yeah, it was. It was. I'm happy to have had that experience of we've just really experienced a wide range of life in America. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so let's talk about growing up gay in the ghetto. Yeah. So I feel like I've always been, as Kanisha mentioned, a chubby, tan, sparkly eyed person. JJ is very, very very thin and white now. He's very, he's very (laughs) handsome. I'm the Edward Cullen to my Jacob now or whatever from the Twilight (laughs) fans. So yeah, growing up gay, I'm so gay that literally everybody, I think for the most part was like, this is who you are. It's not really a question. I don't think Kanisha remembers more of this than I do. I don't think I was ever like, I don't remember being actively bullied Mm -hmm. as a kid for being gay. I think I remember people pointing it out. Yeah. But more in just like curiosity or like, "Mm, something's not right with that duckling. But never like, I I was never physically harmed for being gay in the ghetto. And I think it also has something to do with the free range ghetto. Like, yeah. Who has the time and energy to bully a chubby Latino gay boy when they don't have food on their table or That's their right. mother's a crackhead? Like I, they had bigger fish to fry. So I know Kanisha remembers some more of those things. Yeah, I, I do. I'm issue. so happy to hear that you were never physically attacked mm-hmm. for being gay. And this I don't know. This isn't PC to say. I don't know how to say it, but like. You are like very obviously gay, effeminate, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sure I'm saying all the wrong things, and I'm gonna <laughs> get canceled. Are we gonna get canceled? Is this our canceled episode? <laughs> I'm as, gonna get as canceled. Elder millennials, it was bound to happen. Yeah, in 15 years, I'll be can I'll be like famous, and they'll be like, "She said he's obviously gay. Did you assume his gayness?" But you're very obviously gay, yeah. and. My memories are similar to yours, not of people physically attacking you, but very verbally labeling you. Mm -hmm. So just, you know, we'd be walking around the neighborhood and kids would yell from 20 feet away, you know, yo, you walk like a girl or like, you know, Mm -hmm. you gay. And I'd be like, (laughs) go on or like, you know what I mean? Right. And at the time, as far as I knew, you weren't, you know, to out to your family or out to me. And you you said you were straight. And I'm like, OK, he's straight. And also, I just didn't at that age. I'm just excited. I'm just barely even who am I? So not super yeah. interested in being like, oh, who's gay, who's not gay, whatever. But I do remember in sixth grade, the first time my mom met you you walked me out to the van. I think it was that green van. That with the, green van, yeah, with the sliding doors. <laughs> with the sliding door. And you introduced yourself to my mom and then you like sauntered away and you like, you know, closed the door for me and sauntered away. And my mom's like, oh, 
what a nice little gay boy. And I just remember being like, oh, my God, mom, he is not gay. And just like <laughs> that was like a whole thing. Right. It During was, middle yeah. school and, and a lot of high school of me being like, JJ's not gay. Not because I thought that being gay was wrong, but because it was like, well, he says he's not gay. So, like, leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, another thing I would say about growing up gay in the ghetto is that we had a lot of gay people in we, the ghetto. Okay, can we please, and that we're going to get canceled for this, but can we talk about the number of, like, butch, like, butch ghetto black lesbians? Butch black lesbians, yes. yes. like, who were just, like, living their truths in high school and middle school where everyone's like, obviously she's gay, who cares? Who cares? She's a man, who cares? That's so interesting, and I don't know if black butch lesbians get the accolades and attention and recognition mm -hmm. they deserve for being to me black butch lesbians are some of the most unapologetically queer people oh, absolutely. that i have ever known mm -hmm. and from very young ages right like oh yeah i just remember like middle their... school and high school like yeah i remember in middle school like she's a lesbian she's a friend if i need it yeah and like and like who who gonna pick on them <laughs> who is gonna pick on them exactly like yeah just, it's true it's like and again i get the I, about the free range ghetto like in our any of those classic high school tropes of like the nerd and the jocks like i feel like because everybody was poor and it was so hot we were like nobody has time to, nobody was nobody cool was nobody popular. was popular right like it's yeah. like our cheer we had i think multiple pregnant cheerleaders mm -hmm. our football players couldn't win a football i think they won like two games the whole four years of high school we were like, happy just to be in school we were happy to just still be in school and to have made it to high school and through high yeah. school and so yeah let's talk about the evolution of your queer identity yeah what does it mean to be queer to you and also let's also talk about intersectionality uh, being latino being multiracial yeah. being, and being queer yeah so i feel like for me i've always known i was gay ever since i was a little kid just like not even a question i've always always been attracted to men of as long as i can remember and so, you know, I came out to Kanisha in sixth, or when we were 16. In, On a field trip. Yeah, thank you, FMLA. No, not FMLA, that's Family Medical League. Uh, <laughs> FBLA? FBLA, Future FBLA. Business FBLA. Leaders FBLA. of America. Yes, I can't, it was like Dallas or Houston. We were, we were in Houston at the Galleria Mall, and mm -hmm. the mall was closed down, but we were somehow able, On we, had, we were staying at a we were staying at a hotel inside of the Galleria Mall, so we yes. could still walk around the mall even though it was closed. Yeah, so I came out to Kenesha, and then by default, like the rest of high school, because I think you were the most important person I'd want to come out to. And so I came out to you, and then I didn't come out to my family until I left for college because I didn't know what would happen. Mm. Kenesha and I even had a plan that if I came out to my parents and I got kicked out of my house, we had a whole kind of plan worked out. None of that happened. My parents are very supportive. But just the idea that I had to think about those sorts of mm -hmm. things, which I think a lot of gay people can relate to. But mm -hmm. so I came out in high school and then was fully gay in college, full-fledged gay in college. And then I think maybe now, while I think now the reason I would say that I'm gay, but like I would definitely would embrace the queer title is because I think I care less now about like masculine, feminine qualities. I mean, my pronouns matter. Please call me he, him, and and his. But people frequently call me ma'am, 
her and that truly doesn't bother me. I do, it doesn't it's not so tied to my identity. So say say a little bit more about that when you say people refer to I I love telling these stories and it also seems like it's a high proportion of black people absolutely um, refer to um, you as like she or ma'am and they're not doing it in a mocking way it's literally not. like they just look at you they're interacting with you they see yeah. your facial hair but your spirit uh, just... my spirit is genderless so I for all intents and purposes I look like a man I have you know traditionally men's haircut I'm I traditionally wear men's clothing but in my to my face, people will be like, thank you, ma'am. Oh, no, I mean, sir. And I'm just like, you know, thank you for being polite. It truly doesn't matter. And again, older black women in the hospital love to call me ma'am by accident and then be just like, oh, no. I'm, and we all laugh and scream at the, you know, oh, I called him ma'am by accident. On the phone, I get called ma'am. <laughs> small children will come up to me and be like, what is your gender? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Face. Small children have that. definitely come up to JJ like, are you a girl or a boy? I'm just like, <laughs> who has time to answer such questions? So I guess for me, that's why, you know, my, I can embrace queerness and that like, as long as you're respectful to me, it truly doesn't matter what you call me because I don't feel such a strong identity to one or the other. And again, I don't feel gender queer to make that distinction. I feel like a man, but I'm not so married to those those terms and ideas so yeah and then I think my you know my broad expansion of like who I find sexy you know women are beautiful am I sexually attracted to women probably not but you know it's the new millennium so it's whatever so I, that's why I think I'm a gay man <laughs> with like queer overtones how about for sure and I I, I yeah. think I love that and I so you, okay so you're a gay man with queer overtones yeah okay. interesting what is i don't quite understand the difference so there's also you know in in our communities you know transgender men and women sometimes people make distinctions of who i'm attracted to determines how i identify as a person and i i am attracted to all men trans men cis men and so i think you know traditionally gay men have had a kind of a narrow scope of yeah and what that means so i think i adopt more of the gay men with queer leanings because at the end of the day okay. you know it's it's who i'm attracted to and how they identify doesn't necessarily change how i identify myself so understood yeah, yeah i i think i would say i'm a straight woman bi curious poly curious mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> just i'm just like I don't know. It all sounds fun to me, but yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not trying. Labels take a lot of time for me, so I'm like, I'm just gonna have a good time. I'll yeah, check my box later. Yeah, I've definitely been like, so Tyler, can I would like to reserve the right sometime in the future to sleep with some women and some multiple people. And he's like, we'll we'll figure it out in the future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's kind of been my g- gay queer journey you know it, it's very similar to many gay people in america during that time period of like coming out being a little afraid finding your community and then really settling into yourself as an adult so i love being a gay person i, I feel like because i'm gay my family so also as a caveat as a gay latino person i present white and i feel like when growing up the only gay people i saw were like butch black lesbians and like white gay men and so mm-hmm. Often I associated being white and being gay as like the culture I would gravitate towards because I never really saw gay Latino people. Mm. And so that caused a bit of confusion in that for the longest time, 
I don't know, I felt conflicted about my biracial identity because I feel like to be accepted as a gay person, I had to be in white spaces, which I think only now I'm really kind of delving into. But that's kind of the, the background. Gay Latinos, For sure. Ghetto. For sure. And, you know, JJ, we, we actually did have some very out gay Latino people in our high school I won't use his name, but if you remember, oh, yes. there was a guy that was older than us and he wore makeup and. Oh, yeah, I do yeah, remember that. But he was pretty he was pretty ostracized, even at our very free range ghetto accepting school. And to to be clear of how I would say in general, how gay positive our school was, J.J., it being all his gay self was our homecoming king and prom I king. Prom King and Homecoming Prince the year before. Oh, that's amazing, right? Uh, so yeah. this this was not, we did not go to one of those scary high schools on TV where kids are getting pushed into lockers and the football mm. players are bullied. Like, I don't, I think those high schools exist, but that was not the kind of experience we no. had. We were friends with our teachers, went out to eat with our teachers. Yeah, and we had like an out, I don't remember what it was called, but it was like we, oh, out oh, loud gay club. Had, yeah. Oh my God, this was so... So the young kids now won't appreciate this, but back in our day, there was a gay straight alliance and it was secret. And to be a part of it, you had to like interview one-on-one with the counselor who was a very militant lesbian, tiny militant white woman. And you had to like get accepted into it because you had to promise that you wouldn't out everybody else in the group. So it was oh, that's like a, wonderful. It was like a secret cool kids club where we'd meet and be like, we're gay, we're outcasts, but not really because everyone's an outcast in the ghetto. But I do remember that. Whereas now like, you know, the out loud club would do fundraisers in the streets. But back then it was like very much like it was a secret because people weren't out and people had things to lose. So it was fun. Mm, That's super cool. I didn't even, I knew we had the club, but I didn't know how to get into, I was too busy running the Christian club. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, now I'm like, it's funny. Somebody from, I'm going to be interviewed on one of my friends from Harvard's podcast he we somehow started talking about how we identify religiously and i was like i'm a millennial psychic witch <laughs> he was like <laughs> okay tell me about that uh, so, yes absolutely okay and i can share more on a different episode about my <laughs> identity as a millennial psychic black witch oh, um, and you have to bring up salt and pepper dreadlocks so just oh definitely and who, I, who i'll be in the apocalypse mm-hmm. So speaking of the apocalypse, the apocalypse is a topic of great interest in our friend group. We have spent 20 years, you and I, JJ, in a four-person best friendship. Mm -hmm. Me, you, Megan, and Leah, the four of us have spent hours and hours and hours talking about the apocalypse, who we would be during the apocalypse, who would be in our survival tribe, mm-hmm. what our job would be. Absolutely. And then and then the apocalypse actually happened in yeah. 2020. The coronavirus pandemic and shelter in place began in March 2020. And by the end of April, our best friend Leah had died. And so I I want to just talk about grief and loss and even just the idea of grief interrupted it's been nearly a year since leah died and we haven't even had a chance to properly memorialize her i haven't seen you in person Mm-mm. since leah died i haven't seen megan in person we haven't had a funeral for leah 
So I just, I don't know. I just want to talk about that and remember Leah and we miss Leah and also sometimes feels like she is still like just busy or something. Right. And that we'll just see her soon. So I don't know. What would you say to the person listening about how you've handled your grief about losing Leah? I would say, you know, as a nurse, I've dealt with death all the time, part of a daily job. I, I, I expect death, not in a morbid way, but like I know everyone I know and love will die eventually, whether before me or after me. After you. Yeah, I, I'm going to, yeah. I'm, we all agree, JJ's going to live forever. Forever. <laughs> do that. We'll talk about that later. But so for me, death is, it's still always tragic when it happens, but it's not such a, I'm not sh- shocked, like, oh no, how could someone have died? Like that part of grief and death is not in my, in my framework. But I think specifically, you know, during the pandemic, it feels it feels oddly selfish for me to bring up that one of our best friends died because everyone has known someone that's died in the pandemic and we're all grieving and, you know, you were mourning the loss of a, a, this year together as a, a global community. And so it feels oddly selfish to bring up Leah in, for me personally, mm-hmm. because I know everyone is struggling and everyone has something and that's my own, my own take on it. But in terms of grief, you know, I feel like grief is best described like, I don't know, like a tulip you might plant. You try and bury it. You try and not look at it, but eventually it's going to come back. It'll grow. It'll sprout up out of the ground. And sometimes it's beautiful. And you, you know, grief reminds you of a beautiful memory that you have and you laugh. And sometimes grief reminds you of something terrible that you miss and it's devastating. And so, you know, I just, I take grief as it comes. You can't grab it. You can't, you can't, hold it. You can't jar it up. It just comes out however it's going to come out. So in that way, I just, I have no expectations of grief. It'll just happen when it happens and I'll react the way I react. And that's kind of how I I navigate life. And again, being a nurse has helped quite a bit in knowing that the unexpected will happen all the time at any moment. And you just have to be ready for that. So yeah, I don't know. it, It feels like you said, we haven't seen each other in real life. And I feel like when we do see each other in real life and, and remember Leah, it'll just be every emotion, all the emotions. And I do look forward for that, for that release. But Yeah, I look forward to the release, but I feel, I feel afraid of feeling that sad, you know, like I'm going to cry now, you know, like just thinking about it. I don't, I have cried a lot over losing Leah and losing my mom and mm-hmm. Like, just the idea of, like, crying with you and Megan in person, it's just overwhelming, you know, mm-hmm. just to feel that sad. It, it so, will be. Yeah. But, you know, we, you know, we always make everything into a fun joke. And so, like I said, when we get together, we're going to hold each other and cry and just, like, rock back and forth, like, witches conjuring a spell and then, <laughs> and then dissolve into laughter. And it'll be great and mm-hmm. sad and wonderful. So, you know, like I said, it, and this it's so weird to lose someone during a pandemic, but I mean, that's life. And, you know, that's, yeah. Oh, it, it was a real shock, a huge shock. And it was also like my greatest fear come true. You know, I had just been talking to you just days, maybe a week before Leah died about how, 
afraid I was of the virus and just everything that was going on. And so I don't know. It's interesting to realize that sometimes your worst nightmare can come true, you know, like Mm -hmm. especially for high achievers, we have a false sense of control over our lives. We have control. Mm -hmm. Of course, we all have control over decisions we make, actions we take or don't take laws we choose to break or not break. But when it comes to life and death, like you, we don't get to decide when our mom dies. We don't get to decide when our best friend dies or when we die. And it's important to just remember that. And I feel like Leah, more than any of us in the four person friend group, did what she wanted to do. Right. (laughs) And like, without caring about what other people think, or that's some of the things that I carry with me from Leah is like, she really knew how to relax and take it easy. Mm -hmm. And yeah, she really, you know, she worked really hard at work and in her jobs and was a star performer I think she was good at not over identifying with her work and feeling like, oh, like this is who I am. You know, with me as an entrepreneur, I could easily be like, you know, if my business is doing great, I'm great. If my business is not doing great, like I'm not so great. And, you know, I think those two things tie in well together for me. The why I'm drawn to the overachievers is because it's that constant clinging and grasping onto something that is truly not graspable, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. You can't hold on to your grief. You can't tell it when to come up. You can't always predict everything. And it's so freeing. It's my personal joy in life is to have a high achiever, high achieving person understand that letting go is the only way to truly have control. Mm. Because you, you can't control anything. And it, releasing that last desire to control is truly how you're able to control because you control your mind and how you feel. Everything else is, you know dust in the wind or whatever Mm, okay zen wisdom with jj okay so let's start to wrap up as a recap today jj we talked about how we are soulmates and we've been Mm -hmm. traveling through the universe for millennia Millennia. finding Mm -hmm. our way to each other in each lifetime that's right We talked about why you surround yourself with high achievers. Mm -hmm. We talked Uh, about spiritual vampire. (laughs) No, not because you're a spiritual (laughs) vampire, but there's some good, there's some good energetic synchronicity between your calm energy and your nurturing energy and, Mm -hmm. and our, our meaning high achievers kind of frantic grasping, never, nothing is ever enough energy. You're able to Mm kind of calm us down, but you also like our go-getter energy. I love it. We talked about our friendship and what it's meant to us. We've talked about growing up free range ghetto and the positive aspects of that growing up gay in the ghetto and how it was really different than how maybe people might think or how it might be portrayed on television shows. We talked about what it means to be queer intersectionality and queerness, evolution Mm -hmm. of your queer identity. And we talked about how we're rich now, but we still, we don't have an assumption of permanence. Mm -mm, mm -mm. We do not have an assumption, neither of us with our socioeconomic status, there's still that fear that we could slide, slide back and have to struggle our grief, right? Our shared grief Mm -hmm. over losing Leah and, and how we deal with that. 
Let's close out with some self-care tips. You are oh, yes. the queen of self-care. Absolutely. And you're also friends, as we've talked about, with lots of super type A people who could use more self-care in their life. Can you share with us some self-care practices Absolutely. with the Scale Your Joy listeners? Tell us about some simple ones and some of mm. the more complex ones. Absolutely. The simple one is saying no more. I feel like the more I say no to people and tasks and asks of me, the more time I have for myself. Mm -hmm. Another one is uh, the basic things. I make myself delicious food all the time because, you know, it's, it's, it's nurturing to my body. It's something we need every day. And it's a simple thing you can do. We have to eat every day. So you might as well do it. Showering. I have a simple shower routine. I exfoliate twice a week. I moisturize a lot. I stay hydrated. You won't it doesn't sound so simple. <laughs> no, that's simple. You have to shower every day. But yeah, okay, um, go ahead. No, it's good. I give myself permission to do nothing. Yes. Structured time where I'm like, I can just read. I can take a nap. I can play a video game. I can literally stare out the window and look at birds for 20 minutes while I sip a cup of coffee. I can, I can just exist for that hour. I don't need to justify my existence by being productive. That is a simple one. That's a big one. I have so much trouble giving myself permission to do nothing. It's a real problem. Living is enough. Living is enough. We are human beings, not human doings. That's right. So those are my simple ones. The more exaggerated ones are, you know, exfoliate my whole body, shave everything, lotion up, sit in the middle of my king size bed with my cat next to me with a cup of tea and like read luxuriously for two hours. Oh, that sounds amazing. I love it. We'll do that next time we're together. Mm -hmm. We'll just be completely hairless, covered in, slathered in lotion, wearing like <laughs> lotion silk gloves. gown, silk yeah. like yeah, house so gowns. Yeah, so it doesn't remove the moisture from our hair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and read. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And pet your cat. That's yeah. amazing. So yeah, those are my those are my self care. And what's another good one? Well, just even you make a lot of things. You make candles from scratch. Candles, you make your I own learned, tofu. I learned, y'all, tofu is the easiest thing to make. It's water, soybeans, and lime juice. What is that? That's I just thought that. tofu came from the grocery store. It does, but you know you can make it. <laughs> it's it's and I and I will say this: I love to cook, so that's why it's nourishing to me. If you hate to cook, don't cook. Do something else. Don't turn it into a high achieving perfectionist task. Absolutely. I give myself permission to make mistakes all the time. Permission to make <sighs> mistakes. Permission to not be perfect. Absolutely. We, we're not perfect being. I love my body. I live actively stand in the mirror naked, shake my belly and say, I love you. You're my ancestors emergency preparedness kit in the famine thank you oh Molly. i love it okay so that leads us into mm -hmm. our joy work for this episode one of your joy work tasks is to stand naked in front of the mirror and jiggle the things that jiggle that maybe you wish didn't jiggle and say thank you my jiggle you are my ancestors emergency preparedness Kit. Kit. I love mm -hmm. it. That's amazing. What are some things that the Scale Your Joy listeners can journal, doodle, and noodle on related to our episode today, JJ? I know you love to journal. So what's one or two things they could journal, doodle, and noodle on? I think one thing they can journal on is gratitude. So just journal about what they're grateful of. Work, life, love, professional, just a whole section on gratitude. And then a second one, which I find helpful, 
is to journal about something you're curious about on yourself, a topic, an identity you struggle with or are thinking Mm. of, just inquisitive about yourself. Journal about yourself as if you were reading a book and you were like frantically writing annotated notes in the book. Like, what does the author mean? Mm. What do you mean when you do and say these things? So just a quick little self-analytical portion, but not to not as a homework task of like, I have to get an A on this, but just pure curiosity about yourself. So one about gratitude and one about self-discovery. Oh, that is beautiful. I love that homework. Thank you for giving us our joy work for this episode. Mm -hmm. And thank you for being my amazing soulmate, my my wife in the former life and Mm -hmm. my JJ bestie in this life. I I love you so much, JJ. I love you too, Kanisha. I can't wait till we're genderless robots in the next life. Oh, I will love that. Yeah, just keep my all my parts well oiled. Oh, well, okay. Self-care 101. This was Scale Your Joy with Kanisha Grayson, Episode 8. Have a wonderful self-care-filled week. To celebrate the launch of the show, I'm giving away a Scale Your Joy audiobook ebook bundle. These are five hand-picked books that I have read and I love. They're about life, joy, and entrepreneurship, and five lucky listeners will be chosen to win. The way you enter is you subscribe, rate, and review Scale Your Joy on Apple Podcasts. It doesn't have to be a five-star review, although I sure hope you're loving the show. I want your honest feedback so I can create an amazing show that provides tons of value. Visit scaleyourjoy.com slash welcome to learn more about the contest and how to enter. I'll be announcing the winners on the show in episode 11.